Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. And I'm David. We're all property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. I'm delighted to say that we are joined by the person who knows everything about auctions in this country, David from EIG. And perhaps you could just start us off by giving us a, a very quick intro of, of your property business. Well, thank you, Simon. I'm not sure I do know much about auctions, but I'll try and let uh, the listeners have some of my knowledge during the next 30 minutes or so. Yes, my name's David Sanderman. I'm the founder and managing director of Essential Information Group. My journey through property has been quite long, actually. I started property developing in 1983. I bought my first property at auction in 1984 and, and was active in the auction market throughout the 80s. One thing that always bothered me was that there was no central place I could find out what something had sold for. Nobody was keeping any results. And it came to a head in late 89 when I got sent some property details by an estate agent in Battersea. I looked at the details and I said to my two colleagues, I'm sure this has been to auction before. I then spent two hours going through the past auction catalogues we had in the office, eventually found the lot. It had been offered at auction four months previously by a London auctioneer. I phoned him up and I said, could you tell me what happened to lot 43? They say, oh, we don't keep results. I, I said, you must know. I can't believe you don't get results. And so I pushed her and they called me back about half an hour later. It didn't sell. I said, what's the last bid? What's the reserve? I want to know this. She said, no, that's in the bidders, but we're never going to disclose that information. And I thought, am I the only person who wants to know this information? And from that, I came up with the idea of simply uh, going around uh, with my two colleagues to every London auction with a clipboard, writing down what every lot sold for. And we would then make it up as a fax and send it out on the night of the sale. Five years later, we launched our website, which had a database, so you could query the database to say, firstly, see what's coming up for sale, and secondly, see what's, what things have sold for in the past and whether, in particular, this property had been to auction before. And, and that's essentially what we do today. We also are responsible for providing a lot of technology for auctioneers. So if any of you guys listening have watched an auction online, either eBay style or live stream where the auction is in front of the camera that's probably going to be using our software and uh, that's what i've been doing for the last 31 years and i, I think it's probably been keeping you very busy indeed the seem to keep growing yes they're becoming more and more popular um, and, and different ways of doing it as well so i think you you've lined up a little treat for our listeners to show just what your your software contains and Regular listeners to the business of property know that we've mentioned a particular block of flats in Red Hill that came up for auction a little while ago. I think we first mentioned this back on episode 66. And it came up for auction. I, I spotted it because I was looking for an investment property and curious about a, a block rather than an individual property. And after it came up for that auction, a flat within it then came up for, for some subsequent auctions. But David, you, in, with your software, can actually have that full history. So do you want to give us a little a little potted history of this particular property? Indeed. Well, I'm based down, my office is in Rygate, which is the next door town to Red Hill, and I drive past this block of flats every single day going to and from work. So I know it well. I've seen the boards up there. It's interesting to note that we've got a database with approaching a million lots in it. That's everything that's come to auction over the last 30 years or so. And when we run the numbers, we see that about 30% of lots coming up for auction have at some stage in the past 30 years been to auction before. So if you're looking at an auction catalogue, on average, one in three of those lots 
have been through the room before, and I'm sure as a buyer you'd like to know what happened to it. You know, comparable is a great way of valuing the property, and, and you know, if it's been up for auction and didn't sell, you might be asking the question, why not? Well, this property, which we're talking about, flat three, most recently, well, if I, if I, why don't I go back to the beginning of history? Back in 2011, not this flat, but an, another similar size was offered at auction, didn't sell, but was available, had a reserve of 88, and then it came back on the market, few months later, so just in the next month in 2011, and sold for 84,000. Same size flat as this one. But this flat we're talking about first appeared on the market as part of the entire property, which was first offered in 2020. So last December, it was withdrawn, came back in the February sale of that auction house and sold for 550. So a big block of flats sold for 550. Now, I know the auctioneers, there are significant issues and challenges with this property that I phoned up to ask. This flat. I'm going to ask you about those in a moment then. Yeah. Oh, sorry, carry on. Yes. This flat we're talking about, the second floor flat, was knocked down for sale at 168000 in April of this year. For some reason, it came back on the market with another auctioneer in May and apparently it was sold post auction. We don't know for how much or we don't disclose how much that was. It then was offered in September of this year and sold for 165000 so if you're thinking of buying that flat, you're going to be asking the question, why are people buying it? And then it's coming back for sale the following month. Did they walk away from it? Did they not like the special conditions of sale? Was there something wrong with it? I understand that to get to the front door, you've got to go up a fire escape to get it. Uh, there's building reg issues with it. There's a lot of things wrong with it. So it's not just a lovely cheap, because, you know, a one bedroom flat in Redhill normally starts at £2,000 and goes up, not one six five. So, you know, you've always got to be asking the question of the properties coming in and out of auctions and selling in one, one auction and then selling again at another auction a month later. Did the guy walk away from the deposit? Did he not complete? Et cetera, et cetera. It's a really good alarm bell in your system. Yeah, yeah, quite. And I mean, th these were exactly the questions Stuart and I were, were discussing on previous episodes. But of course, we only had to sort of happen to come across the listings coming up again and again we didn't have that history and the the knowledge that comes with that so i think it's, it's fantastic to be able to go back and really really see what's happened to it in the past yeah. so when it came up as a block i was tempted to look at this and i, I did actually have a look through the the legal documents and and things i'm not an auction expert i'm not a legal expert so i probably missed the the critical information but things i picked up was the staircase as you mentioned the fact that it's, it's quite high up, and if there were, were roof issues, then that, that could be, be potentially a, a problem on that size block of flats, that height block of flats anyway, just, just generally, not specific to this one. And that it was, they were selling the whole building, the freehold of the building, but one of the flats within it had already been sold on a leasehold. So I decided that if I was going to want it as an investment, I would want the whole thing, not, not just three quarters of it. So I, I decided not to try and pursue it. But afterwards, when it sold for, I think it was for the guide price, just a single bidder, I believe, I, I did sort of think, oh, well, that, that sounds a bit cheap for a block of flats. Maybe, maybe it would have been, been worth going for. Mm. But, but with it having come up again for auction or the, the flat within it coming up for auction afterwards, I'm sort of relieved I didn't. So what do you know? What do you think was wrong with it? And do you think 500000 was a good price to per pay for that, that block? depends what is there and, and often they say the most important document in the legal pack is the document which isn't there which is being left out and which you know you need to ask for because you see a legal pack and it's, that's what the vendors put up it's your job as a bidder to 
completely satisfy yourself about the complete legal position of the property, not just that what you've been shown is okay. I, I didn't look at that in detail. I think it just had a load of external decks done. The property was in a real mess beforehand, and it got redecorated, I think, last year or the year before. You, know, you, you got parapet walls, which is a nightmare with gutters. The maintenance could be quite substantial on that sort of property. And, you know, getting people to pay their service charges can be difficult where it's sold. But I, I didn't look at it in detail. An auctioneer did explain, spent quite a long time, because I, I know all the auctioneers will ask you about it. And they said to me, one of the David, I wouldn't go near it if I asked you. So uh, and that's the auctioneer saying that to me. Well, Simon's got a big smile on his face as you say that, because that obviously makes him feel much, much better about it. Indicates his decision not to proceed, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned also in regards to this flat, you've talked about the history quite in depth that's come from your platform. And one of the things you mentioned before we hit the record button was about the number of properties through auction that don't appear on land registry. Now, as an investor myself, that isn't something... I would say I was particularly aware of. So would you just talk us through that? Yeah, sure. As you know, we're a subscription-based service. People pay a fee to access our data. And and one of the key values we have is not that we can tell you and alert you when properties come up in your area, but also what's happened to properties in the past. A lot of people say, oh, I don't need your service because if I want to know what something's sold for, I can go to Rightmove, you know, the house price data. You know, we have that data. But no, that's of no use to you at all for four reasons. Firstly, it doesn't state the method of sale. So it doesn't say that 98% of the transactions on there are going to be private treaty. It doesn't say this was an auction lot and it wasn't. So you will never know. Secondly, we have that database here. And when we compare our auction data set against land registry, about 50% of the properties which sell at auction never even make it to a land registry as a record. So apparently they land registry, some civil servant on Birkenhead, decides, well, oh, that's not market value. We're not going to put it on. We don't want to skew the things. How they know what it's worth, I don't know. Thirdly, it takes about three months for the data from a, when a, a, so all the property transactions happen today in private treaty. They won't be appearing on the land registry data set until December, January in the future. So if a, an auction's properties come to auction and go again, and those really are the reasons why land registry is of no use to you for those, for those reasons. Yeah, it's it's really interesting from an investment perspective, particularly the one that jumps out to me is, you know, the statement of around 50% of properties sold at auction don't make it to the land registry. Because as we know, understanding comparables is a key component of how we're evaluating any yeah. investment we're going to make. So that's really interesting. And what's been your experience then in terms of building that for your for your platform, for your services? How did you go about that? Yeah, well, uh, we, in the early days, we would get all the catalogs and enter it manually. We now have software which creates catalogs and hosts websites. So a lot of it, our software is hosting auctioneers' websites. So we, we have the source data there directly from the auctioneers. And again, trawling websites and scraping and, and getting the data in and the same for results. But again, about 75% of all lots going to auction are using our software. So we have the results at source coming to our system. We've got a major auction happening up in Birmingham at the moment where they're offering about 175, 180 lots today. And when it goes sold, that number appears in our database. And just stepping up to a more general perspective, David, given that a lot of the talk at the moment is how hot the market is, how much of a seller's market it is, and how much of the increases are happening in property, how, what sort of an impact does that have on auctions based on your experience? 
there's been a lot more interest. We, we, we host a lot of the legal documents for the auctioneers or for a lot of the lots. We've seen a, a big increase in the amount of traffic, people registering to get a passport to look at the legal documents, number of documents downloaded has increased. Yeah, it generally has. Everybody sort of wants to get on the ladder and buy something before it's too late. A bit of registration numbers for auctions are up as well. So it's been, you know, very frothy market. Have you seen a decrease in properties coming to auction at all? Because that, that seems to be an issue in the general market. Yeah, no. If, if, if I let me just pull up a newsletter. If I look at my latest newsletter, which was published August. Well, while you're finding that information, I'll just put in a tiny plug for your newsletter. I do subscribe to it. It's, it's completely free, monthly email with lots of stats and figures about auctions that I should probably read a lot more than I actually do. But but I do do love reading the, the headlines at least. Oh. So it's brilliant. Thank you, Simon. I assume that we can include a, a link in the show notes. So yeah, absolutely. Yes, the place you can go, I'll, I'll make sure you, you get that. Um, yeah, so if I look at June, we publish a newsletter. We publish it every month. July's newsletter covered what happened in June. Number of lots offered was up 52%. Lots sold was up 48%. And the amount raised actually doubled. There's a couple of very big commercial auctions happened. And even looking on the year-on-year comparison, so July... 2020 to July 21 compared with July 2019 to 2020. So we take two years, the amount raised was up 27%. So, and you know, those are the sorts of increases we've been seeing overall. How about the number of lots compared to 2019? Because of course, 2020 was an odd year. Yeah, that that was only up 1% and basically 25,000 lots were offered overall on a yearly basis. So that has declined, but uh, on the sort of monthly and the quarterly basis, they they were up in big numbers. Yeah, I suppose that ties in really with you know what the, the wider picture that we're seeing across the board. The other sort of questions I've got for you, David, while we've got you here, I think it would be remiss of us not to ask on behalf of those people that do listen and just starting out from an auction perspective, and, and for someone that I guess has has seen most sides of the equation. What, what would your sort of best advice be for people that are thinking about buying from auction, like you know, for for the first time? Go into it with very, very open eyes. You know, why is it going to auction? Yes, it's a quick method of sale. Are they trying to hide something, as I said earlier? First of all, I'm bound to say it, accessing our website, having access to our website is crucial. You'll get full view of the marketplace, not just relying on what you see on the portals. Not all the properties go onto portals. And crucially, you're going to see the historic data. One in three properties have been to auction before. You need to know about them. But one of the key, two key things, you know, two bits of advice I'd give to anybody really was, Understand what the guide price means. We've recently done some, sadly, the entire industry uses this dreadful phrase called guide price. If you Google the definition of guide price, it says the, the amount of money you can reasonably expect to pay for goods or services, as is true, except for in property auctions. Most people think, it actually splits it roughly a third, a third, a third. A third of people think that the guide price is what the auctioneer expects to sell it for. Uh-uh, that's wrong. Another third think it's a low, meaningless figure just to get you interested in going to bid on it. Uh-uh, that's wrong. And only a third actually know what it is. And all it is, it's an indication as to where the reserve is currently set. The ASA ruled on this seven years ago. And they said that where a guide price is quoted, the reserve cannot be more than 10% above a single figure guide price. And if a guide price is arranged, the reserve cannot exceed the upper level. And the reserve is a minimum amount of money that the auctioneer is authorised to sell the property for and is subject to change. But so many people, you know, I had an email yesterday saying, 
this industry is a nonsense. It had a guide price of, I think it was 100,000, and it sold for 200. Those auctioneers just haven't got a clue how to value. And I always phone these people up, and I say, well, what do you think the guide price is? Well, it's what it's going to sell for, isn't it? I say, okay, let's go to a portal, and we, I say, see that guide price there? And I do a share screen or get them to go to the page. It's got an asterisk. Have you ever looked to see what the asterisk I don't need to. I know what a price is. It's, you know, house estate agents are asking 100. It means they'll take 100 for it. Let's go and see what it means. Until the industry changes it to have guide to reserve or reserve not to exceed, the people coming to the auction market, having seen homes under the hammer or gone to a portal. Now, you go to a portal. I could take you to a portal now where there'd be, say, six properties in the street through estate agents where, say, the price asking price is 80,000 and there'd be some properties coming to auction where the guide price might be 20. And everybody thinks, cool, that's cheap. I'll go and buy that. So they get themselves all excited about buying it. They don't read the legal docs. I'll come on to that in a, in a minute. And they spend money on surveys and this and that. And then they're surprised when it goes for 60 or 70 or 80,000 because they didn't follow the asterisk. If it had said guide to reserve, I think most people understand what a reserve is, minimum price it can sell for. But this phrase guide price is dreadful. It's absolutely dreadful. And I'm campaigning in the industry to get it changed. Yeah. I recently wrote a piece, has the guide price past its sell-by date. And I think it has well expired. Well, I think you've uh, you've certainly put the case forward. (laughs) (laughs) You've put the case forward passionately, and I don't think uh, we can disagree with that at all. So you were going to move on to the... How many people don't know it? Now I have experienced buyers. We're actually just conducting another survey to my membership to see how many of my subscribers know what a a guide price is. Just just on that, so the first we've got the guide price, then there is the legal pack. Now, a lot of people think, you know, they're they're just buying something off out of a charity shop or something, you know, with this here, I know... What is in the legal back can make a huge difference to what you're buying. And to assume that everything is okay, you are just about to hand over a lot of money and you could be buying a pile of rubbish. It's really, really important that you get the legal pack checked out. Yes, and you are going to spend money doing that. But Astelios, who used to run EasyJets once said, and I use this a lot, if you think safety is expensive, try an accident. And yes, getting a lawyer to check the documents is expensive. But relying or just hoping and praying everything's going to be okay could be huge. Two things on the legal pack. One, I strongly recommend you get somebody with legal ability to check it out. Secondly, as I said earlier, the most important document in there may be the one which isn't there. You know, the vendor decides what's going in there. So if he hasn't put a document in there, why not? Where is it? Ask for it. And if you don't get a satisfactory, don't bid. And thirdly, we're seeing an increasing amount of in the special conditions of sale. So when, when you buy a property, you're going to be buying it. So the conditions of sale will be those set out by the auctioneer. Most of them use the RICS common auction conditions. But then the vendor can add extra conditions of sale, which supersede the ones which the auctioneer uses. And we're seeing an increasing number of vendors, and it's the vendors who do this, not the lawyers or the auctioneer, put in extra conditions, such as, and the purchaser will pay the sum of, £5,750, and that be, could be written in letters, not words, so if you're skim reading looking for a pound sign or a load of noughts, you won't see it because it's written in big paragraphs and no paragraph breaks as words, you'll be liable to pay that. The most extreme case of extra fees in the specials, and I don't want to scare everybody because it's quite rare, but you've got to be a rep. First of all, I read the specials, is a property sold for £100,000. The bidder had not done any due diligence on the buyer, had not done any due diligence on the legal pack at all. He just assumed everything was okay. 
And when he sent the documents to his solicitor, the solicitor said, are you aware that you're down to pay an extra £24,000? Yes, you heard that right. £24,000 in extra fees that the vendor had loaded into the specials. So the chap was dead happy, bought a property for 100000 He's contracted. He's, he's agreed to the terms and conditions where he has specified that he, I have read and understood the contents of the legal pack and taken legal advice if required. He hadn't done any of that. And he was landed with another £24,000 on top in extra fees, which the vendor put in. You must, must check the special conditions and get somebody else to check it. Because rather than putting, as I say, in numbers, sometimes they put it in figures or it's a percentage. So typically it could be pay four percentum points or £5,000, whichever is higher of the sale price. So those are the sort of things you must watch out for. They're not put in by the auctioneer. It's the legal pack put together by the vendor and the vendor solicitor. So those two points you must, must look at. I know I stress the point, but you know, time and time again, I get phone calls. I didn't know this. What can I do? And there's not much you can do. Mm. You've agreed, you know, in a B2B relationship, you tick the box to say you've read the special conditions, you've read the legal pack, you understand it, and you've asked any questions where you weren't sure. It's definitely a point worth labouring because of its importance. And I remember when I bought at auction, and it, it was going to be a significant, you know, it was over half a million pounds, but I think, that, you know, that value is irrelevant. But I think it's just that mindset shift. Like in my head, it was the legal costs, because I had to expedite the legal pack review. I think it was somewhere between 500 and 1,000 pounds. And I thought it could be the best 1,000 pounds I spend to not buy a property, you, yep. you know, and, and that was the mindset shift versus, oh, I have to spend another 1,000 pounds just to get this done. I might just skip it when I think, you know, 1,000 pounds on a refurb or a build, it's, it's, not, it's not a significant amount of money. And this is, is much more important. So I think it's definitely a, definitely a point worth laboring. But, um, you reminded me as you were talking there, and and given that you you've stepped onto a soapbox, one of mine is around these method of modern auctions. Mm. I'm interested to get your view on. I've seen them a few times, but I can't see any benefit to them other than to the person that's that's, that's actually commenced them. What's your perspective on method of modern auction, and perhaps maybe your explanation of them? Okay, just for the benefit of, of the listeners, the modern method of auction, I'm not particularly enamoured with the phrase, but it's one which is stuck, is where the seller generally is not charged a fee by the estate agents for selling the property, but the buyer is required on the fall of the gavel to pay a fee, an option fee, to the auctioneer, which gives him the right to, and on the fall of the gavel, the two things with, with the modern method, you can either have on the fall of the gavel an exchange of contracts takes place and you would then be required to pay the 10% deposit that day and a fee, typically 3 or 4% plus VAT to the auctioneer because he's commissioned the sale and can beat there after the 20 working days. Or the, what happens is it's a conditional sale whereby, supposing you buy it at a, at a conditional sale for 100000 you'll pay your 4% to the auctioneer plus VAT or whatever the fee is range between 25 and 4%. And then you then have 28 days to exchange contracts and then 28 days after that to complete or you've got to complete within 56 days. So you could exchange complete on the same day. Now, in the early days, there were suggestions and I think there's some truth in that, that this 4% was hidden in the small print. Now, the industry has been very grown up about it and they make it completely clear that if you bid on this property, you'll be paying us 4% of the hammer price or whatever they charge, plus VAT, 
as a fee to us and the vendor gets the entire sale of proceeds, we don't take commission from it. Now, if you're not happy with paying 4%, don't bid. You're not obliged to bid on it. If you think it's too much money, don't take part in the auction. Uh, again, uh, the vendor is made clearly aware as to how much the auctioneer is going to charge the buyer. And when you're doing your sums, you know, I want to be in this house all in for 104,000. And if I'm going to have to pay four grand out to the auctioneer, that means I shouldn't bid more than 100. And I can say, having visited some of the auctioneers who do this, their due diligence that the vendor completely understands that the buyer is going to be charged by the auctioneer and that will affect the sale price, bring the sale price down. They have a senior member of staff talk to the every vendor and say, let me explain exactly what's going to happen. Do you understand? Could you explain what's going to happen? And unless they don't fully understand, they have another. And these calls are recorded. So there can be no suggestion that the vendor was hoodwinked into it. So that's my view is it's very transparent now, very open. Every, all the fees are very clearly set out. And if you don't want to pay the fee to the auctioneer, don't bother buying it. That, you know, that's it. You know, at the end of the day, it's the total amount of money the property stands you in for, not who gets what. Am I right in thinking the situation you're describing is sort of a, a traditional auctioneer auctioning a property via the, the modern method, as opposed to what I often see these days is sort of a high street estate agents listing properties on standard property portals under the banner of yeah. the modern method of auction? Yes. So, so we have several, three or four major players in the market, Iron Soul, Pattinson's, STL and GoTo Group, who partner up with agents and say, if you've got properties which are sticking, just not selling, let's put them to auction and we'll find out where it is. And the vendor is in complete control of the reserve price. So if he's not happy with the reserve the auctioneer wants, he doesn't have to put it up for auction. And it's done in cooperation with them, not, uh, and that's where the stock is coming from, from estate agents. And what will happen actually is, you know, say we've got a property on with an estate agent for 100 grand uh, and it's not shifting, the, the estate agent will say, look, can I suggest we consider, or you consider the modern method of sale, whereby we won't charge you the normal 2% we do, but the buyer's going to be charged 3 or 4% plus VAT by the auctioneer, which I'll get half of that as the estate agent, so I'll earn my fee that way. And we can put it up for auction with the reserve price. And what we find is that, let's take, it wasn't in an estate agent's window for 100. They might put it in the auction for 100, knowing that just isn't going to sell. So two weeks later, look, we didn't have any bids. Nobody registered. It's too high. Should we try 95? And it price conditions, and we get down to a level, and then this might happen three or four times, and it comes back on a bit of action at 95, more at 90, put it on 85. And all of a sudden, everybody thinks, cool, that's a cheap house, 85. They're worth 100 in the window of that estate agent. I'm going to bid on that. They get carried away, all the fraud, and it might sell for 94, 95,000 pounds. And the estate agent, uh, sorry, the vendor will get all of that 94, 95,000 pounds. And the vendor, the purchaser would then pay another 3 or 4% plus that on top of that to the estate agent or the auctioneer, which is shared with the estate agent. So that's, that's how it's working. It's very transparent now, and it's becoming increasingly popular as a way, really, of bringing certainty to the sale of a property. Because it's one thing to have an offer, but um, you know you can get an offer and nothing happens for eight, 10 weeks, and then it falls out of bed. The moment somebody puts their hand in their pocket and pays out a few quid, that's when things get serious. So it does bring the certainty of sale to the auction room or the vendor. And so they can move on and start, you know, carry on with their lives. If these types of auction listings are generally being fed by properties that are, are sticking, have you found or does your data show that their popularity has been decreasing recently because 
the market is is so hot and, and busy? Or? No, if, if anything, you know, the numbers of conditional sales or, or, or modern method of sales is going up and up. We run software for two of the companies involved, and yet their, their numbers just growing month on month. Given the current market, what do you think explains that? Maybe the certainty of sale. You know, the hammer falls, you know, this property sold, or, or at least if it's a conditional sale, they put down four three or four percent state money, earnest money, and it takes a lot to walk away from that. Yeah, so perhaps people have had the experience of a property falling through or something. Yeah, and- yeah we, we, we've all been there. It talks cheap, money's louder. Yeah, I've only had two fall through this year, so I'm doing well. The <laughs> I think, you know, that element of that auction is what I think appeals to all of us is that, you know, like in other countries where you can just say, right, we've offered, it's been accepted, we now know that it's now fait accompli, that, that that's going to go through. I think when I last reviewed properties, and it's, it's really good to hear you talk about it now, because now some of it makes a lot more sense to me about what was probably going on, was that when I'd reviewed any of these, and they were by estate agents rather than auction houses at the time, was when I reviewed them, the, the guide price, the, the price that they were, were up for was what I would consider the market value. And so when I read the T's and C's following your guidance, you know, looked at the caveats, made sure I was clear. And I thought, well, hold on. They want to sell this for whatever, let's say 200,000. But they're also asking me to cough up whatever the, the fee was, a fee t- to enter it, plus a percentage. I thought, well, hold on. By the time this washes out, I'm, I'd pay more than if I would just walk into an estate agent and, and offer my price. So although I would much rather have the you know the confidence that if something was agreed, it would go through. At that time, I thought that well, there's you know, this just doesn't make sense because I'm going to end up paying more money. And, and all, it seems that everything was with the buyer because they're not, they're not having to pay the fees. But it makes sense, actually, if they were just pushing it through to maybe a couple of weeks later, reduce that price to make it more appealing to the wider market. On that point, we monitor what's the comings and goings at auction and, and the system tells me when things have been to auction before. And I've seen properties selling through the modern method of sale and then being put in a conventional auction made auction house and selling for more so too many people think well because i bought it at auction it must be cheap and it must be a bargain no that's not true yeah it's i read something really interesting on this once before and it's again it's mindset shift isn't it because that's the point of view like you've mentioned homes under the hammer but that's the point of view we go to auction because we think we're gonna get a cheap property but why do people sell at auction because they want to get more for their property and of course it's two sides to the economic equation isn't it yeah, I think an auction as well is the certainty of sale. A contract of some form is made on the fall of the gavel, be it an exchange of contracts or an option is set up. And we've all had offers accepted and people, you know, six months down the line can't do it. And the speed and certainty is what appeals to vendors. You know, fresh money buys fresh goods is what a market trader used to tell me. <laughs> well, like I say, I mean, I've been in a fortunate position of selling properties this year, a, a couple, but t- two have fallen through, two different properties fell through that we've gone back on. And that was the best thing. I mean, auctions are, you know, not for the faint hearted. I think you have to go in with a, a very objective mindset, not an emotional one. And, and I'm sure you can share a lot about that. But the best bit for me was, but the best and worst bit was when that gavel went down. The best bit was, oh, I've won. And then B, oh, I've now got to pay for it. But yeah. knowing full well that essentially we'd exchange contracts at that point for me was a bit of a relief to know that that was done. Yeah, just going slightly off beast again. One of the benefits of the auction system is that you know the legal package generally, in some way, shape, or form, put up when the property comes for sale, or certainly before the auction, which allows the purchaser to understand 
what they're buying. And sort of extending that to the private treaty market, I'm involved in a, in a company now where we've taken the auction legal pack technology and making it available for estate agents so that you know our, our estate agents, growing number of estate agents who are using us now, the moment they get an instruction, they encourage the vendors to start putting the legal pack together, the legal pack, typically, you know, the title deeds, guarantees, venture certificates, the import, you know, things like the property information form, you know, where you have you had a neighbor's dispute. Because how many deals fall out of bed six weeks, six months down the line, and the purchase says, Well, if I'd known about that, I wouldn't have bothered making an offer. Wasted so much time. So if and we're trying to get, you know, the industry into a culture of let's disclose everything up front so we don't waste all the time. You know, in, in private treaty, it's one thing getting it under offer. But if you haven't got planning permission for the extension you put up, if you've had a row and ended up in court with your neighbour, which is disclosed on question six of the TA6 form, whatever the question number is, then, yeah, some people walk away. But if that doesn't come out until eight weeks down the line, well, yes, my neighbour and I were in court because I clumped him because he parked on my drive and he clumped me back. Perhaps you don't want to live next door to him. And that's, that's the situation. It's going to come out. So let's be big and grown up about it and disclose it at the beginning Warts and all, so you're making an offer based on that. You don't get that renegotiation. And yeah, so property information, we call it pitfall, property information product support, whereby the estate agent and vendor can upload documents and anybody who's registered to see them is notified when the document comes so they can make a more informed decision. And the other benefit that's bringing is that because all these documents have been got ready in the marketing period, when it comes to the memorandum of sale being sent out, there's a full legal pack there. Because, you know, how many people don't bother about getting a search? You know, if you want to sell your house, you have to have a local authority search. So why not do it when you put property on the market and you, and you put in the MOS, the vendor, the buyer will pay the 140 quid towards or whatever. Fill out the TAC. You're going to have to do it. They're going to want to see the Corgi certificate for the boiler, et cetera, et cetera. And you're going to have to show that. So just get the pack ready the moment you think of putting it on the market. And we're seeing properties which are using this system more likely to exchange and they exchange quicker and the completion is quicker. I, I couldn't agree with more. It's, it's auction technology working in the private treaty market. Yeah, I, I think having information packs makes every sense. There, there has in the past been an attempt to force property information packs. And of course, Scotland have a, a form of this still now. Yeah. Mm. What, what do you think went wrong with the previous attempt and how, how is it better now? Uh, well, you're talking about HIPS, which was 15 years ago. I think the problem with that was it was a government doing it. You know, HIPS was a great product, but because the government was telling the estate agent to do it, they didn't like it. They didn't know what it was about, what it could do. No, that's government intervention in our industry. Go away, we don't want it. And everybody resisted. But all they were doing was saying, you can't exchange until you've got these documents. So rather than wait for having an offer and then get the slow wheels of motion turning, do it now. So you think the idea was good, it was just the messenger that was bad? I think the way it was implemented, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not getting any, any pushback on it when we talk to agents. You know, once you're using it, are selling more, selling them quicker and getting less fall-throughs. Exactly, yeah. There's a business reason for it. An offer is made on the basis of what's disclosed. You make an offer on the basis that the whole house is rosy. Well, there might be some dead plants around the place. You need to know about those. But in the legal process, real estate aside, is you know, you have discovery phase where everything gets out on the table yeah. on, day, on day one. And, and it makes, when you think about it, it, it just makes such perfect sense I can understand it from a sales point of view. There is a fear. There's this element of, you know, having worked with commercial and salespeople, there's a fear of, oh, we don't want to jeopardize the sales. So if we've got someone to agree a price, we don't want to scupper it. 
But actually, why wouldn't you do that on day one and say, look, this is everything we know. Would you still offer it? Because then your completion rate would be significantly higher. The other elements you talk about, you know, I'm firmly on board with what you're saying, because I had a memorandum sale in April. We are not getting the searches back. I'm selling. The buyer is not getting the searches back till the end of this month, till the end of September. It's ridiculous to think that all of this stuff that is none of it's a surprise. It's all standard, isn't it? This is since houses were built. This is the information we need. I mean, I'll ask you a very simple question. If you're going to buy a secondhand car from a dealer, do you get the service documents out on the bonnet before or after you make an offer? Yeah. You get them out before. But when you come to buy something 10 times more valuable than a, a car, you end up making the offer and then looking at the service history. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I agree. I'm going to put Stuart on the spot quickly, though. Why did you not get your searches done in advance? So you could say, here are the searches verified by my solicitor. Your solicitor doesn't need to do them. Well, we did have them. It's from the buyer's solicitor that hadn't, that hadn't instructed them. But can you not? Surely if they've, if they've been provided. Months. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. If they've been provided by the, the local authorities and they've gone through the appropriate legal hands, so they've been fetched by a solicitor, they've been verified, surely they're, they should be acceptable to your your uh, buyer i think the issue is without getting into the detail is with the local council and their cycle of issuing the searches however the buyer solicitor hadn't instructed them for a few months so, so actually the solicitor sat on it for three months which meant that when the old ones were had expired and by the time they've now gone to the council the council said well the next time we're outputting these is in two months time and you know compound all that together we've lost six months for really standard documentation which Yeah, well, I rest my case. But on that point, you know, in in the legal pact, you often don't see local searches in there. Mm -hmm. So you're taking a chance that, um, you know, there's nothing adverse in there. And as always with this, we're talking time. But of course, time equals money. And I've seen the same thing. I was very fortunate to dig out my packs where I've seen indemnity insurance that the buyer solicitor is saying this needs to be bought or we need to justify. And I've gone back to my pack, scanned it and said, look, it exists it's already here but of course everyone just sort of starts from ground zero again when naturally we don't need to so i think we're all in the same place anyone that works within property i'm sure would want the sort of reform david that you you've been talking about as and when you you, you know you develop your party to lead us into this future will we, you certainly have a couple of voters here anyway yeah well it's, it's got to be the way forward changing the subject a little bit we are running a bit long on time but i before we, we finish up, I really wanted to ask about some of the changes you've seen in the auction industry over the last 18 months, because of course, the last 18 months has been been quite special and everything has changed in the world. So how has that affected auctions? Gosh, how long have I got? If I wind the clock back to, to 2012, we launched our online auction platform so that auctioneers could sell property eBay style. And understandably, we approached a lot of auctioneers and said, no, no, David, got to be done in the room, get much better prices in the room. You can't rely on eBay. You know, we're not selling second-hand cars. We're selling property. An auction house in Ireland, which recently started, liked the idea, and they took us on board, and we uh, sold £700 million worth of stock in Ireland. And uh, still no traction over here. And in January of last year, I remember seeing on the news one night that Woham had been locked down. Movement was completely restricted. I said to my colleague here, David, Heads up my IT, being me a long time, great friend of mine, said over a cup of tea in Rygate, Dave, if this uh, 
seeing heaven forbid ever comes to England, we won't be able to have room auctions, all have to go online. So we then started working on making an online platform for every single auctioneer in the UK. And then 23rd of March came, my phone rang off the hook. David, uh, I know I didn't think auctions, but uh, any chance, don't worry, we've got it ready for you. This is one we prepared earlier. In the first week, we got 60 auctioneers live, and then most of them followed. And so for the last 18 months, no room auctions have happened. The first major one is going to be Barnum Marcus on Wednesday. They're doing to see whether there's any take up for it. And people have been selling probably either eBay style and look at the numbers. Two thirds of lots going on an eBay style platform. The other third is on a live stream. There's one going on today, Bond Wolf, where an auctioneer stands in front of the camera and does it. Now, the crucial question is what's going to happen going forward? Are they going to go back to the room? Well, several auctioneers have told me they've already burnt their gavel, not literally, but they don't intend to go back. They love the data they get from it. They know all the registrations done online. You know, we, we take the security deposit online. Everything's online, really, really easy to confirm their ID online. And they can see exactly who's bid on the property and how much. Whereas in the room, all you know is who won it. You can't remember who, where the bidding. So you get bidding levels. The ease of access to the auctioneers, they've all seen a huge increase in the number of people who partake in the auction. You know, it'd be like, if, if X came to the room, if X people come to the room on auction day, it's now three or four X who log in and watch the auction live. The geographical spread has increased dramatically and the take up has increased as well because we've got a situation where supposing you've got a, a hundred lot sale going on in London, you want to go and attend the auction and you're interested in lot two and lot 98, you've got to hang around for six hours waiting for that to go on. You know, interesting and funny as these jokes are, that's a bore. Whereas now, you go on and you can bid from your phone or anywhere. So it's really opened it up to the masses and a lot of people have taken part. And then that's the convenience and the increase in spread. But when we look financially, you know, to hire and put on a major London sale, you're looking at maybe £25,000 to hire the room and the lunch and, and all the bits. You've got to shift your entire office down there with all the things. And then, of course, the catalogue. You know, if you're having a room auction, you've got to really give people something to look at while they go through. And that can cost 10, 15, 20,000 to create and print. Do it online. Your catalog's online. It's expected to be on. You know, eBay don't send you out a paper version of, of, of the lot you're buying, do they? So you, you have huge savings there. And of course, as an auctioneer, an auctioneer hitherto has always set the dates going to have the auction. That's when they can get the room, et cetera. They've never ever asked the vendor when they want to sell. So the question auctioneers get asked a lot is, you know, and I was talking to one yesterday, and uh, people would phone up and say, When's your next auction? And they might say, well, we've just closed for the next one, but so the next one's going to be in uh, December. I'll come back to you, which is polite speak. That's no, that's no bloody use for me. Excuse my French. I want to sell it tomorrow. Now, because they've all got access to a platform, they can do a one-off auction. Well, when would you like to sell it? And depending on how complex it is, they might have two-week marketing period or three-week. So we've got people like Landwood who use our platform. They hold an auction every Wednesday. So you're never more than four days away from the next auction. You just got to decide how long you want to auction house do the same they have an auction every thursday sdl have an auction on the last thursday of every month simple and, and and it's changed the way so the rigidity of the room auction and all the physicality of it because you know if you bid on if you if you bid it remotely from a room auction you are the second class bidder yeah the auctioneer will always take the bids from the room first when they drop then he'll come on to you so you don't really get a chance to play whereas now online it's a and it's here to stay
it's here to stay. My simple view on this, David, is is any sector that that moves towards customer centricity, that is what makes it easier for us as as buyers, consumers, whatever, is only going to benefit the business itself and the sector itself. Yeah, this is where the auction is now held. This is where it's now held, not in a London ballroom. Listeners can't, listeners can't see what you're doing, though. So you're, oh, yeah, you're holding yeah, up your phone. Yeah. <laughs> holding up my phone, yeah, yeah. It's, it's on the phone. The site's all optimised for phone usage. Yeah, I think getting on 50% of bids, uh, we, we monitor the device being used, and most of them are mobile, or a lot of them are mobile devices. I think this is this is brilliant news. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of not having to travel and, and yeah. stand in rooms, as you say, for hours waiting for your lot to come up. But I, I wonder if we could just dig into how they work a tiny bit. So you, you compare them to eBay, but one of the things about eBay auctions is they have a hard deadline. Oh, and everyone tries to bid in the last, last two seconds. Right. So you're the one who happens to get the best bid in. Yeah, and, no, and I don't think they're quite the same for the property auctions. No, indeed. Do you how that works? I first mooted an online auction for property in 2004. And when we started discussing it, I said, but the big difference we're going to have, if there's a bid placed in the last few seconds of the auction, a period determined by the auctioneer, we're going to extend it. And if there's a bid in that, we carry And we're going to wait until there is a set period of, of bidding silence, and only then will we close the auction off. And so some auctioneers are using a 20-second period. Others are using a minute. That's, you know... This some companies using one company is using fifteen minutes. Does it really take somebody fifteen minutes to decide whether they're going to bid another hundred pound? I don't believe so. So we recommend 20 or, 20, 20 or thirty seconds. And here's an interesting stat, which some of your the listeners might review. We've had over four hundred thousand bids placed on the platform since we started it. Four hundred thousand bids, and of those, twenty five percent of the all bids placed on our platform have been placed after the scheduled end time. So it's been an extra time when we've gone into extension periods. And another 25% were placed within 58 seconds of the scheduled close time of the auction. What's happening is that from like a minute before, say the auction's due to close at 12, then from 11.59 onwards, over 50% of the bids are placed. And 90% of the bids are placed within, I think it's an hour of the scheduled end time and afterwards. So people don't bid two days before. They leave it to the last minute. And with our platform, we time everything down to a thousandth of a second. And we can see people ending. We do not leave it to the last minute. And we'll get complaints. We've got some major online auction date. They'll be put, I placed a bid in time. We have all logs. And we can say, no, your bid came in, had one last week. It came in a thousandth of a second after the close time. Well, you should have allowed it. Well, what are we going to allow? A thousandth, a second, two hours? What do you think? No, wait, you, you had 20 seconds to place your bid and, and you, from when you were given the option. You took 20 seconds and one millisecond to do it. That's your problem. Don't leave it to the last minute. I have no truck with them at all. Because it's, we'd say sniping doesn't work. They think they're sniping, you know. Yeah. Do you think it's just human nature, leaving everything yeah. to the last minute? Yeah. Or do you think it's because people have been trained by eBay to think that, the, the way to win it is to be at the last minute. I think it's a bit of both. I mean, you know, we've got Christmas Day coming up in three months' time. We've had 364 days to do our shopping. We'll do it new Christmas Eve, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely so, not me. So. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, anybody listening, just get your bid in, you know. And the other thing, of course, is we run on server time and your clock could be up to a, a second behind ours as well. And we say we run on server time. You know, do not leave it to the last few seconds. And heaven help you if you've got a bad Wi-Fi signal in your house. Yeah. And you're pushing a button that's going nowhere. Yes. 
because I've looked at a few online recently and I think that that additional 30 seconds for me kind of negate or should negate people doing it because you say well okay if it's going to bump up 30 seconds every time someone puts a bid in then let's just think about my maximum offer we'll just go there yeah no let's get it all over and done with yeah Yeah. on the flip side this is obviously the right way to go and like I say is is a consumer centric way and clearly benefits vendors my experience as a someone that went to you know a bricks and mortar auction was that what happened for me was that the property I was going to look at was the, the property itself was in Plymouth. However, the auction, the, the, the vendor, I think it was owned by a bank because it probably went into administration, whatever, of receivership. So the bank gave it to Allsops, who were based in London at the time. Now, I felt I had a bit of an advantage because being closer to London, uh, you know, where we're based, you know, I could hop on a train 20 minutes and, and I did win that property. And I think that there were fewer people in the room because it was a southwest property. Do you see anything else like that? So, so I think that advantage is, is potentially gone. Because like you say, I, as long as I've got my phone, I could be anywhere in the world and still bid. Do you, do you think there are any more opportunities for people to think about in the digital world when, when going to auction? Two things. Well, go back. 20 years, you know, before the portals were major, and certainly auctioneers never used to put their properties on the portals. Yes, it was around their, you know, adverts in the EG and their mailing list. But the the rise of portals and the fact that most auctioneers put all their stock, a lot of the stock into the portals has has made it open to a lot more people. And secondly, you know, Ward does have a way of finding its own level and the bids will go up. But but certainly the advent of, of auctions being broadcast live, you know, even though they're in the room being broadcast live, has opened up to everybody and the need to turn up to the room as well the last 18 months has shown that you don't have to go and stand in the room and breathe the same air as everybody else to take part i had one final question for you david which i couldn't let you leave without asking which is in your experience why is it that some properties get sold prior to auction and how because it's one of those frustrations sometimes as someone that's going along to auction where you think why did that happen? Or more importantly, how could I make that happen for me? Well, just to clarify, about 10% of properties are sold prior to auction. This is where the property is advertised for sale by auction and an offer comes to the auctioneer, which is acceptable to the vendor. If that happens, then the buyer is invited to sign the contract. As soon as they're ready, an exchange will take place. Until they, the exchange of contracts has taken place and they've exchanged some contracts and handed over the money, it's still on the market, but vendors do that. They're a little bit unnervy about it, or it reaches a price they're comfortable with. It takes the uncertainty out for what's going to happen on the day. And, you know, I, I bought prior to auction and sold in the room and, and had office prior on stuff. It, it's really the auctioneers, uh, the vendors feeling as to, well, you know, I've got a guide at 100, I've got 110 on the table, might make 115, but this company is known for being really reliable and doing it. Sod it, let's do it. Fresh, fresh money buys fresh goods. Yeah. Takes the answer. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. We have run over a bit on our, our scheduled time. So, yeah, th- thank you very much for sticking with it and providing so much fantastic information for I really enjoyed it. and our listeners. <laughs> Just to, to finish up, if people would like to find out more about EIG or get in touch with you or anything like that, what, what's the best thing they, they can do? In the first instance, just send me an email, davids at eigroup.co.uk. Any questions comes out of it, and then and I can engage with the conversation with them. Brilliant. Thank you very much, David. We'll make sure we include links to EIG in the, the show notes. And the show notes can be found at thebusinessofproperty.com. 
thank you very much for for listening please do leave us a, a rating and review in your your chosen podcast application and Stuart and I will talk to you again next week we